Hey, critical thinkers, welcome to this episode of Healthy and Awake Podcast, where today we have a legendary episode for you. I am speaking with Bass Wouters, who is the CEO and co-founder of Cialdini Institute. Now, if that name sounds familiar, Cialdini, it's because we've talked about him in previous episodes, and Dr. Robert Cialdini is world-renowned for his work and influence. And Bass, like I said, is the CEO and co-founder of the Cialdini Institute. So that's a big deal. And uh, Bass is very well accomplished himself. He's a multimillionaire, he even brings that up in the episode. Uh, he's the author of the book Online Influence, which is now in my book list. Uh, and maybe I should mention, by the way, I have a book list now, Healthy and Wake book list that's on my Substack. It's on the bottom of my Red Pill Health and Wellness website. And so, of course, online influence is in there, as well as Dr. Robert Cialdini's books on influence and persuasion. So make sure to check out the show notes for that link. But Cialdini Institute does a lot of great work, all of it revolving around influence. And Bass himself talks about that a little bit in the episode. He mentions how they train coaches in influence. They help people who have businesses and want to increase their sales because you have to do some influence for that sort of thing. Uh, but most importantly, they stay up to date on the actual science and research around influence. And other than that, Bass is the world record holder for longest karaoke singing marathon. Okay, no, I, I added that one. That's not true, but the, the rest of that is all true. And so with the episode itself, uh, I have a list here in front of me. We cover a lot of cool things. We talk about ethical influence, especially me being a health coach. I use influence. So we talk about the ethics of influence. We talk about influence around health coaching. Uh, I admit to feeling guilty when I use influence, even if it's done ethically. And he helps me sort that out. What else? We even talk about uh, influence in terms of propaganda, which is, as you know, if you've been listening to the show, something I talk about a lot. And at the very end of the episode, I got to give him props. He was willing to play along. I, I, I brought up the idea of doing a thought experiment. So I really put him on the spot and I said, Hey, let's create an influence campaign for something silly right now. Uh, just to make, you know, just to highlight the power of influence and the tactics that can be used, let's pick a silly example. And if you've listened to episode two of this podcast on artificial intelligence, it's actually the same thought experiment I used with ChatGPT, where I said, hey, let's make a propaganda campaign. And so it's really interesting to hear the similarities and the differences between ChatGPT and Bass Wouters on his influence campaign. But nonetheless, it's really cool to have done that in real time. So other than that, we also talked about the influence of health coaches. And he gave me some great advice to keep in mind as I health coach my clients. And of course, if you are a health coach listening to this, you definitely want to stick around. That's also near the end. One other thing that I wanted to bring up, not very important, but it just stuck out to me when I listened back to the episode. I asked him about the difference between positive and negative affirmations. So a lot of people love their positive affirmations. Maybe they read some kind of positive sentence in the morning. I am a winner and successful. 
things like that. That's great. If that works for you, that's great. That does not work for me. I actually take the inverse approach where I use negative affirmations. Uh, most of them, to be honest, are very harsh and vulgar things that I would not want to read in, in this podcast uh, for a general audience. Uh, so I picked the most uh, innocuous thing that I could think of, just the most benign, uh, not vulgar thing that I could think of. But I guess when I listened to it back, it sounded silly to say out loud to somebody else. Uh, but hey, it, it does work for me, these negative affirmations. So I just wanted to call your attention to that and, and warn you of maybe the, the silliness uh, around our conversation when it comes to affirmations, silliness on on my end uh, with the example that I offer. But I, I, I could go on and on. There's so much valuable, uh, useful, and cool information from the conversation that I had with Bass Wouters. So without further ado, here we go. All right. Bass Wouters, CEO of Cialdini Institute. It's very cool to be here with you today. I appreciate your time. And I guess first, you know, a lot of my audience, I'm sure, is familiar with the work of Cialdini. I mean, we spend all our time here on the show talking about influence. But for those who might not be aware, can you talk a little bit about yourself and the work that you guys do at Cialdini Institute? Hi, Mike. Yeah, great to be here on the show. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, of course, I would love to talk about the work we do at Cialdini Institute. Uh, as many are familiar with the work of Dr. Cialdini, we see it as our almost obligation to bring this knowledge to the world, the world of ethical persuasion. There's a lot of unethical persuasion, of course, out there. And also how sometimes people get manipulated. But on the other end, there are also a lot of people with great services, great products that don't bring them to market because they don't know how to influence other people in an ethical way. So what we do at Cialdini, we have basically three types of programs. We have the learner, and that could be an individual, a company training their teams or universities, giving that knowledge, bringing that knowledge to the students on campus or business school. We have become a Cialdini certified professional. So if you are a trainer, consultant, speaker, you can help actually people to master the skill of ethical influence. And if you are a digital marketing agency, we help you how to help your clients to boost conversions in an ethical way. That's a lot of influence. I think you've covered all the bases there. That's very cool. Well, you know, on that note, I'm curious, you know, becoming CEO of Cialdini Institute is certainly no small matter. So I'm curious about what role influence played in you getting to where you're at today. Yeah, played a, played a huge role and especially ethical influence. Won't tell my whole life story, but in a nutshell, uh, I've pretty much been always an entrepreneur early on in the financial industry. And I learned with influence, I could help my colleagues to help more clients and for sell more products. One moment in my life, I bought my first house and I, I'm from the Netherlands originally. And I realized that a neighboring country, Germany, there were the kitchens cheaper and better quality and better service. So I brought that to the Netherlands. Was still, I, no, I bought that, bought the kitchen there for my own house, but then started a business, which grew out uh, to a multi, 
multi-million dollar business, which I sold in 2016. And during that business, we have, of course, the, we had the established brands in the Netherlands. And I realized early on, I have to do things smarter. My advertisement budget has to have a higher ROI than my competitors. Otherwise, they just out-advertise me. And behavioral science became that answer and ethical influence. So when I sold that company, I decided, okay, what's next? And I knew Dr. Cialdini had a program which called CMCT program, Cialdini Method Certified Trainer at that time. And I, I loved helping people. I loved leading trainings. And of course, I love behavioral science and ethical influence. So where do you go? You go to Dr. Cialdini. And basically what I did, I wrote an email to his company and saying, hello, I'm boss. I like to become a CMCT. And I got a, got a reply. Hello, boss. A lot of people want to become CMCT. We are very selective. And I say, that's great because if I become one, then it's scarce. So I said, what's the first step? First step was I joined a program from them in Arizona, and I did. Then rest is short, short, fast forward to I was accepted to the program, passed the program, and in 2017, I became a CMCT. So I was one of 12 at the moment, Cialdini Meta certified trainers in the world. And I started leading training on the principles of persuasion and ethical influence. I wrote a book myself, Online Influence, which was published in 2020. And also Dr. Cialdini helped me writing the book. So our relation got more intense. Then COVID hit and they were working on an e-learning. Much of the training was done live. So they asked for some advice and that advice rolled into a vision of building Dr. Cialdini's reach of expansion with that knowledge. Of course, he sold a lot of books. I make often the, the joke, he sold 7 million copies. Although I think 7 billion people on planet that trying to influence another human being on a daily basis. So still a lot of people to touch with this knowledge. And the vision led to an action plan. And at one moment, November 2021, Dr. Cialdini was for a seminar actually in the Netherlands and we were having breakfast together. And he asked the words, boss, do you want to be my business partner and create the Cialdini Institute together? That could only be one answer, of course, Mike. And that was a big yes. That's awesome. What a cool yeah. story. So you're really uh, fully immersed in influence, which makes you perfect for the show because uh, this that's all we talk about here. And I actually make the case that uh, we as individuals, as human beings, have an obligation to learn about influence. And I actually offer three specific reasons. One, so we can defend ourselves against the undue influence of others. Two, so we can use those tactics to influence ourselves. But three, and just as important, so we can be aware of the influence that we're having on others. And some people might go, well, you know, I'm not trying to influence anybody. But the reality is you're influencing people whether you realize it or not. The things that you're doing are having an influence. There's still 7 billion people, basically the rest of humanity out there who are influencing people who need to be understanding this stuff. So my question for you is when you think of these reasons, 
defending ourselves, influencing ourselves, and being aware of the influence we have on others. Is there anything I missed there in terms of reasons we need to understand this stuff? Oh, I think you're completely right. I think defending yourself, science also shows that's pretty hard, actually, because most of our choices are made by these shortcuts, which these principles are based on. So there are two things you can do to arm yourself. is pause to make a decision, so really reflect on your decision. Another one is indeed having knowledge about what you see and which signals you recognize and let the alarm ring if you see there's something going on that's untrue or untrustworthy. The second one I like a lot, influencing yourself. Um, it's also called the term behavioral design. So actually, how can you design your behavior? So I'm also a big fan of that work. And the last one is definitely, I think, a huge important. I strongly believe, I always say this, if you master the science of ethical influence, you'll become more successful as a professional, but also happier as a person. As a professional, you need to persuade, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's a manager, you lead teams. If you are somebody casting out your vision, you need to get funds for something. Most of the time, it's only associated with marketeers and salespeople, but it's such a broad scope. HR people, they need to attract, or they win the war on talent. And happier as a person, let's imagine you're single. You ask somebody on a date. It would be great if they say yes, right? Or if you have children, it would be great if they listen. So they're all aspects of influence throughout our life. Great points. And I actually love the language that you use around that. Because in the beginning, you said it's important to arm yourself with this type of knowledge. And one thing that comes to mind when you say that is this idea of persuasion. And one of the things I think about when I hear that term, and of course, I, I've read the book, is it seems like a type of disarming. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. Persuasion is, I think to arm yourself against persuasion is pretty hard. It's because persuasion does, it brings you in a certain mindset. Let's say if you're on a romantic mindset, you would easier say yes to a request on a date. As research shows that, for example, pretty attractive man goes into a shopping mall and he asks women out for a date. And in front of one store, he's much more successful. Was it a shoe store, a chocolate store? It was a flower store because there's the association with romantic. So I think arm, it's, it's a form of disarming because you automatically come in that specific mindset, which leads us to move forward. So on that note, let's go, let's give another example. Cause one example I commonly use on this show is buying more than we need. So when I work with clients in health coaching, I hear this all the time. Mike, I went into Target and I wanted to buy two things. That's it. I wanted to buy just two things and I walked out and I had 10 different things that I did not intend to buy. So it sounds like there's some influence there, some persuasion, and maybe even 
pre-suasion. So would you say there's a little bit of both or, or what's going on there? I think there's, there's both. So probably from a pre-suasion point of view, they're trying to get you in a certain mindset to buy several types of products or reflecting yourself in the future that you have this healthy body or all this, all this pre-suasion elements that you could encounter, visuals, text, smell, music. So these are all these elements that bring you into a certain mindset and they work with potential reviews for their products. This is for sales signs, special offers, and they all could be ethical. Although there's the gray area, if people are start buying more than they actually want to buy, was it unethical persuasion of that shop or was it helpful? So that's always an interesting discussion there. But I think definitely it, it's a bit of both. Yeah, I, I think so too. And you make a great point how the, there's an ethical gray area there because it can really be very complex. And I'll admit, as a health coach who uses the tools of influence, you know, my job is really to help influence people towards better health. Yep. And very often I use tools and tactics that feel subversive and i i almost feel guilty sometimes a again i'm i'm trying to do my best to lead them to a good result let's say they want to come eat healthier so they come to me and i'm trying to help them eat healthier i'm listening to their words on a level where i'm basically trying to use their words against them i'm pulling things out of them sometimes i'm even trying to figure out what emotional state they're in so i can leverage that uh, towards a, a productive direction. I'm doing all these things that I am well aware of, but they're not at all. And so I think I, I actually admittedly feel guilty because there is kind of this gray area. I, I don't know. I exactly have a specific question there, but what are your thoughts on that sort of thing? I think this is very interesting to bring to awareness in the show. So thanks for continuing that topic because it's one of, I think our biggest differentiate at the Chaldini Institute, we have three core values. One is science. So everything we instruct, claim as research-based. The second is application. So what we advise you, so what the research says, we transfer it to real applicable advice. So you can work on it right away. And the third and very important one is ethics. Coming there, we have, we, we define three types of influence practitioners. We have the bungle. Actually, they have a good story to tell, a good service, a good product, but they don't know how to persuade. So actually, it's a lose-lose situation. Imagine you had these skills, you had this perfect product for your client, but you don't know how to get a yes. Both parties would lose. Then you have the smuggler. They use the principles unethically. So they claim social proof or it's not. Fake scarcity is the last special offer. They win, the other loses. That's what the outcome is. In the end, they lose itself. The smuggler will always use, they have a very stressful life because they need to continuously chase new clients because nobody does business for a long time with a smuggler. I think what you are describing yourself is as what we call a slew of influence. A detective who knows the principles, raise, up, raise them to awareness, 
Therefore, you win because you have more clients, but your clients win because you actually provide them with a great service. And that we see as complete ethical influence. And two, we have three basic questions you can ask yourself to think, is my request ethically? Of course, it's connected to some laws in country, different cultures, different applications, but these three are universal. Am I telling the truth? Would I tell this information to my mother, father, brother, or sister? That's one. Is it natural to present my offer this way? To give you an example, many years ago, there was a supermarket in the United States and they offered bottles of water for 69 cents. Then they put these bottles of water for sale. Big sale sign on it. Big red cross to 69 cents. New price, 69 cents. Sales went, but this is not natural to present your offer like that. So think, is it natural to present it this way? And the last question, and I think that is very critical. Is it wise to make this request? Would this person want to do want to say yes to me in the future? If all these three boxes are legit check with a yes, I'm telling the truth, it's natural to present it that way. And this person, after saying yes to me at this moment, they want to say yes in the future. I think you check the boxes of being ethical. Wow. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I actually do feel less guilty. And I, Good. I'm happy to help you today, Mike. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think the guilt just came from the fact that I know these things that I'm using in the moment and they don't, right? They're, yeah. they're kind of, you know, in a session, they're taking things at face value because you can only process so much at once. Mm. But as you were saying that, I realized that Yes, people keep coming back to me because I am producing the results and they know that I'm not being negatively manipulative. I'm not trying to sell them things that they don't need or that harm them. But even further, I'm trying to expose these tactics literally so they can use them for themselves. So the same tools that I'm using and in influence, I'm trying to educate the public on just like you guys are and say, hey, this is what's going on. And and. Uh, so that does help me feel a little bit better about it. Maybe to help to reduce your guilt, actually, if you provide this knowledge in an ethical way, you actually help make your client a better decision. If you have a hundred great, hundred fans or a thousand fans saying great things about you, I'd like to know that if it's true, because that helps me making a better decision who I choose for making me, getting me a healthier lifestyle. If you have an honest special offer, that I need to act now. I like to know that because then I can make a better decision. So that's also how you see it. So it needs to come from a win-win situation. These elements are decision. These principles of persuasion, they are decision triggers. So by raising them to awareness, it's very powerful. You can move much more people to your direction. As long as it's ethical, the other person will win as well. They can make a better decision and therefore have a better outcome. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think especially with the last one that I talk about, being aware of the influence that we have on the world yep. by sharing these principles, tools, and tactics, really, it can cause this cascade effect and really just spread outwards. And, and maybe one day we'll get to a point where you know, those 7 billion people will all be thinking about yeah. influence and who knows what the world will look like once we get to that point. 
I believe a good place, if they all think about ethical influence and everybody is equipped to make better decisions and they can present what's really good in the world and people can persuade each other about doing good things in the world, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, okay, so we've talked a lot about the ethical influence, how we can defend ourselves, some of the positive aspects, but one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is propaganda. And so I guess I'll ask this very openly and generally first. Yeah. I know you focus on online influence and over the past few years, there have certainly been at least a lot of talks about online influence, propaganda, misinformation, all these uh, topics around influence. What are your thoughts there around the state of the world that we see online right now? Well, that's a great and interesting question. So at the Institute, we focus on in. Sorry, at Cialdini Institute, we focus on influence. So that could be online for sales, HR, leadership. I'm myself personally more specialized in the online direction. And if you see documentaries like, for example, The Great Hack, it's, it's clearly manipulation, unethical use of exactly the same influence principles. With big propaganda, people are forced to make decisions based on scientific, based on algorithms who eventually use behavioral science to let more people make that decision, which I think is, is very wrong. So that's my personal opinion, because we, I like to say that this material that we offer is so powerful, you really, the people involved really need what that consequence of directions was. In that documentary, for example, you see it leads to genocide. So a lot of terrible things in the world by influencing people on a mass scale through online media. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. So influence is the sort of thing that can lead to an acceptance of genocide. And I, I mean, I guess I'll ask, you know, when you think of stuff like that, let, let me give a different example. You think of cults, right? People who can yeah. be convinced to do very crazy things like drink kool-aid that will end their own life yeah what like how can people end up in a situation like that where under normal circumstances they wouldn't kill themselves with kool-aid like what what leads to that that would uh be that i connect to social proof one of the principles of cialdini so basically social proof when we are uncertain we look to others what to do so that's one principle the second principle what i will address is authority here which will be a driver and often in those calls, there's a huge group pressure. And that's the social proof. They all do it, therefore I will do it. You have a lot of research. People will follow, no, people act completely irrational, including taking their own life, just by group pressure. The other one is under the eyes of an authority. There is a very famous research by Stanley Milgram that people... Yeah, I see you're nodding, so yeah. not to stretch it too long for this show, but basically people needed to give other people an electric shock up to a level it would be lethal eventually. It was done in the 60s, and 65 to 66% proceeded to give another person a lethal shock under the eyes of a man in a white coat who said, proceed. So the authority signal was the white coat, the doctor, and they proceeded. Well, imagine if that 
superficial cue of a white coat could do that. Imagine how they see the cult leader. It's the charismatic authority figure which addressed that they need to drink Kool-Aid. So that's a huge influence power there. And, and to say, connecting that to cults, there's another documentary called The Push. Push. So it's pretty recent where they stage a scene and the goal is, can we get a human being so within an hour, that far that they push another, pe another person off a roof and fall to that? Now, the answer is yes. So there are a lot of ways to use this in a worse way. That's why we are so big advocates of ethical influence. If you are an ethical practitioner of influence, you'll make the world a better place. You create win-win situations. We strongly believe you will be successful as a practitioner in short term, also in long term, which creates a happier human being, and therefore we can create a better world. And therefore, that, that's why I was so happy that we could that long, talk that long about the ethical side. Hey folks, just give me two minutes here. You don't want to miss this. I have a lot of good things to announce. First and foremost, I am announcing my new program called Creating Time Well. So this program is basically all of the work that I do with my clients that's not necessarily specific to health, but it's the infrastructure and system and all these different pieces of knowledge that you need in order to make your health routines and goals sustainable. Because here's the thing, if you have ever bought a planner at Staples or some other store, maybe for a little bit it works, and then what happens as soon as your routine changes or you get a new job or you get bored of this planner or you set goals that don't exactly fit into the planner, well, that planner goes right out the window and then you never use it again and you're out of the groove that you once had. So creating time wealth is to build your own time management system effectively. Uh, if you've ever listened to some of my previous episodes or especially the guest episodes that I do on other people's podcasts, I spend a lot of time talking about standard operating procedures as the absolute key to success with your health, with your business, with your personal goals or with anything else. There's so much more to say. I could talk about this forever. Uh, so instead of doing that, how about you check out the link below, uh, so you can find the creating time wealth program now, uh, down there it is for pre-sale. So it will be launching sometime in December. It's done. I've had this done. I've been working on this for 10 years, really. Um, and it's based on the work that astronauts do and pilots and surgeons, they all use standard operating procedures. And there's no reason that you can't either, because actually you're using them already. Anytime you go to work, you're using the standard operating procedures that someone else created for you to behave the way that they want you to behave. Uh, so this is really just a system so you can really never have to worry about motivation again. That's seriously what this system accomplishes. Never have to worry about motivation again. Uh, so I guess I'll stop there because I can really talk about this a lot. I'm very passionate about my time wealth system. So check that out. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to my newsletter, which is where I will be sharing the updates on that. Uh, but yeah, my newsletter, I'll be sharing every Sunday, any updates on that. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I have a new book list. I've gotten a lot of requests for that. So I finally got it done. you can find that at the bottom of my website. That is redpillhealthandwellness.com. 
or you can just go to mikevira.com and you'll find uh, my main website there. So a lot's been going on, but uh, I don't want to overwhelm you. So I guess I'll save the rest for later. But yeah, please sign up for my newsletter in the link down below. And please pre-purchase Creating Time Wealth. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, for sure. And and I guess one of the things that came to mind as you said that, it became clear that there is a difference between influencing groups of people like a cult versus individuals. And, and there's this term you may or may not be familiar with. This is a psychology term, de-individuation, which is yeah. this idea that people in groups kind of separate from their individual identity, which makes them easier to influence almost in a primal and reactionary way. So I'm, I'm wondering just your thoughts about the differences between influencing individuals versus crowds. Yeah, I love, uh, love the question. And de-individualization is a very interesting one. So that relates also back to, for example, the principle of social proof, uh, because the group becomes that power that drives the individual in their behavior. So if you get the first persons on board, the group will automatically follow what we see. So no, what's interesting to mention, there's recent research that was done. Let me rephrase. There was research done in the 60s and people were shown three lines on a board and then a line next to it. And they had to say, okay, which line is just, which of the three lines is just as long as the line next to it. You could clearly see it. But the first five people that answered were in the experiment. So part of the experiment and the sixth person was a person being tested. If the five gave the wrong answer, the far majority gave the wrong, well, wrong answer as well. This research was repeated or replicated with brain scanning device. And what they saw, if this happened, two things lit up in the brain. The, the area that was associated with puzzlement, what is this? So they were surprised, how could this happen? But the other area was with physical pain. So going against a group actually feels pain with us. That's why it's such a powerful drive. When they repeated this, the five computers gave the wrong answer. This is funny. Well, funny, interesting. Five computers gave the wrong answer. Puzzlement lit up. No pain. So, so the there's, point, there's no social aspect there for them exactly, to feel the pain. There wasn't a social aspect between human beings. And that's why group persuasion can be so powerful and the de-individualization of because it associates with pain. It feels pain to go against the group. So mm. I think that's, that's one way why group persuasion is not different. Principles, seven universal principles work in groups. But I like to address this specific example that you see how powerful a group can work on the individual. Definitely. And that's, I love that example that, that you offered when people... You have the stooges that incorrectly describe the lines in front of them, and that forces this the uh, participant, the unwitting participant, to basically cave to the group. And yeah. you see the same thing happen. I'm sure you're familiar with this one, the um, elevator experiment, where you have the candid camera, yeah, <laughs> right. And so you have ten people facing the wrong way in the elevator. Somebody walks in. 
and they just go with the group, right? They face the opposite way of what they're used to. And it really just shows the power of the group being a certain way because groups, of course, can be influenced. And so it's definitely something to be aware of and be careful of if we want to maintain our own individuality and make decisions that are ethical and and not against us, right? We don't want to be and shocking people. Like, and see yourself outside the group before instantly move forward, of course. That's an advice to arm yourself against it. Yeah. Right. Because it's hard. It's very hard to do for a human being because these shortcuts are hearing already. These decision principles, triggers are already in place. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the study that you mentioned, most people picked the wrong size of the line, <laughs> even though they were likely smart enough to see the truth. Yeah. That, so that, they nearly saw it. They knew it. it was so clear. They go against their own eyes. Yeah. Right. And the implications of that are huge because we, of course, we think that would never happen to us. You know, I'm smarter than that. But the reality is, if you look at the data, the statistics, the studies, all that stuff, we absolutely can be influenced to shock people in a setting where, you know, we don't want to harm yeah. anybody or we can lie to ourselves and say this line is bigger than it actually is. And it, it can really get us into trouble and make bad decisions around our health. So I did actually want to have uh, do like a kind of fun thought experiment here, perfectly in line with propaganda and influence. Okay. So this is something I've kind of discussed before on the show, but just to pick a silly example, the idea here is how can we influence people online, online influence, yeah. to get as many people as possible to dye their hair blue? I just, <laughs> I just feel like it's something, you know, nobody has really put a, an influence campaign out there for yeah. that. So, I mean, we can collaborate on this too. Let's see what we can come up with. Well, uh, I, I have some ideas. Let's start with some authority figures uh, that will do it. So that's the first good signal. I think there's a lot of uncertainty here to do that. So if some people that we associate being an authority, so that could be the local hero, that could be an artist, Beyonce, name it. So if they start doing it, do you remember the ice bucket challenge? Yeah. It was something similar. Why would somebody do it? Well, yep. So I, that all started with famous people. So once, then the first group maybe of influencers start doing it, and then bring it to the to the mass public. So they start doing it. So I think uh, that's one way. Some uh, reciprocity here. That was for charity. So they're already doing good things. They can help you. That would will you a thing that would help. And maybe a timeline, we all have to do it before this day because then we have to finish our goal to get this amount of funds for that charity. Mm. That instantly pops up in my brain. <laughs> wow, that's great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so using influence to help leverage social pressure. And... Yeah, we'll start with the authority. So, oh, wow. That time Bill Gates did it, famous yeah. athletes. So we see, oh, these people are doing it. I can do it. So then the Muslim first influence tactic, of course, to let these famous authority figures in many eyes do it was there was this charity was some form of help. Uh, they already did so good for the world. Let's help them now. 
a reciprocity trigger. And there was, I think, a scarcity principle involved. So that was a perfect, like almost domino effect to get the ball rolling around the globe. So scarcity it, with like the deadline, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the authority started actually when they did it, the big public followed. Yeah. Hmm. You think ads would work? We could put out ads to help yeah, people. Definitely. We have to spread the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll get my budget together. Let's see yeah. if we can do this. <laughs> well, you want the world <laughs> go out there with blue hair. Just to test our, our ability of influence. Yeah, 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 exactly. That would be a fun game, actually. Well, um, as I wind down here, just a few questions left. Of course, we live in a world with artificial intelligence, chat GPT, all these things that are clearly not going away, uh, tools that share information to us. And whenever we're in a situation where we're presented with information, well, there's opportunity for influence. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts there in this new AI world that we're in. Yeah, yeah definitely thoughts. Um, I think AI could work for the positive for a human being. On the other hand, and those signals are out there. Um, it could be very dangerous. Even the AI entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and the guy from ChatGB, they signed, I think, a few hundred entrepreneurs, some kind of contract, okay, slow down this development because before we know it, AI takes over AI and as human beings, we are lost. So I see that, just, I think, I'm not an expert there, but what I also see where we are more of an expert, people take for granted what the AI tool tells them. They see the AI tool as a, as a single source of truth. But that's not the case can ask and they can produce a lot of things, but if you dive deep and you go into complicated situations and you ask for it, it's not even 50% of the time correct. So there is also something we have to be aware of is letting us being influenced by what the AI tools tell us. It's not always the truth. Yeah, it's definitely not always the truth. And it leaves open such a huge window for malicious or unethical influence or even, yep. you know, accidentally uh, bad influence if the algorithms just, you know, malfunction. I think so, yeah. And there's a danger, of course, because from one end, we know the receiving end, the human being, takes that for granted what the algorithm tells them. Well, the algorithm might not even be programmed to unethically influence. They just gather that information and put it out there. So there's a danger I think we have to be very aware of as a, as a society, how powerful that is, because we, we see it as an authority figure, like a know-it-all, and then we have the shortcut in our brain. I don't have to think for myself. That's also proven with brain scanning device research. It's a click start, and we just take the advice for granted, and we come into action. So it's similar to what we discussed in the beginning. So yeah, a double-edged sword AI and also on the matter of influence, on ethical influence. Yeah, it's it actually makes me think of the example you used earlier where people don't feel pain when they're influenced or attempted to be influenced by these robots. So they might be engaging with these robot artificial intelligence and it can almost act like an appeal to authority without any of the pain or hesitations that you would get from a human authority. 
Yeah, that that's an interesting one. I'm not aware of any research there, but that's an interesting connection you make there. Hmm. Wow. That's that's going to have me thinking for the rest of the day. <laughs> I uh, hope you will still see positive elements here after our conversation. Oh, absolutely. I, and you know, it, this conversation has been so helpful, especially you know the ethics of health coaching. I feel less guilty. Uh, after our discussion here about using influence. And my only question left for you today is, is there anything we did not yet discuss today that maybe we should? Well, I think I have some interesting advice for you and also for your listeners on how to influence themselves becoming more healthier. So what can you do? And I will give you two examples of both of the principle of consistency. And one is a study on goal setting. So in this particular study, what did they do? They offered a program to university students to upgrade their uh, numbers, grades, so to boost their grades. And they were divided in three groups. And group one was told, do nothing, don't set any goal. Group two was told, set a goal, but keep it to yourself. Group three was told, come into a room together, think before what your goal is, walk into the front to the whiteboard, write down your name with your goal. The results, no goal, 14% achieved a higher grade. The goal of upgrading to, a, to one number. So from a B to an A, C to a B, 14%. Then goal setting, that's often told to us Set a goal and you will be more successful. So you would think this is higher. Goal, but keep it to yourself. Was also 14%. So that's an interesting one. Goals you should make public. The last group, 86% reached that goal. So advice here. If you want to work on your health, set a goal, but make it public. Set, say that on social media. Work with your clients in a group. Let them write it down. It's difficult during the digital time. We live up to what we write down, especially if we can confront it there with our own handwriting. We recognize that. So have a board in your studio or where you work with your clients. Let them write it down. So that that's one advice. And it's completely ethical because they will reach their goals more often. And that's exactly what you and, and everybody else, your clients want. Then there is interesting research on goal stepping. Often we say, let's say I want to lose 20 pounds. I just make it up. People are more successful if they say, I want to lose between 16 and 24 pounds. There's some kind of goal. Could, they would actually lose more weight. Sorry, that's what the study showed us. Because they are having some kind of comfort that they easier can get to their goal. So they do it, but actually they lose more weight. So that's what kind of goals you set. So set a hard number, make it a range. And then you as a health coach, helping people, how do you compliment people on reaching their goals? Often, and this is done for employee advocacy, but it's also done in a health situation. So people, the research did, they were in a health program, in this case, also losing weight. And the half of the group were complimented on 
that goal they reached could be it, whatever that was. And on the way out, there were two baskets, one with chocolate and one with apples. The majority of that group chose the, the chocolate. Another group was said, my compliments on your work towards your goal. They were compliments on road to the goal. My, the far majority on that group chose the apple. If you compliment people, as soon as you compliment human beings on goal, you actually let them lose motivation because we, we are there. It's time to relax, time for a pause now. You compliment people on their work toward goal, keep, mo keep on being motivated. So I hope these three tips help you and your listeners. So just to reiterate that, that is very helpful. Thank you. So goals should be public, which... Yes. It's, it's interesting because I've definitely, and I'm sure maybe you have too, heard the contrary to that, how articulating goals out loud can sometimes help people feel accomplished already. Just by saying the goal, they feel like, hey, I, I said I'm going to do this. I can pat myself on the back. But it seems like that's not necessarily based in research. What the research shows is what you said, how make the goals public and that can help with accountability and, and maybe a few other things exactly. as well. So also specificity, if I want to lose weight, saying I want to lose weight doesn't mean much of anything. But if I say, if I make it more specific, I want to lose 10 to 15 pounds, it creates a, a basically some leeway uh, with yeah. a specific Don't goal. Don't say 12 and a half pounds, say 10 to 15 pounds. That's gotcha. your goal. Okay. So we don't set ourselves up for defeat if we fail to hit the exact number. Exactly. And we often have a better result. So more people will go over the 12 and a half pounds if they set the goal between 10 and 15. That's what the research shows. Gotcha. And then the last thing is we should be careful about positive reinforcement. And this is the one that stands out to me the most. And I've always thought about this because as a health coach, one of the things as a board certified health coach, one of the things that yeah. we're trained to do is kind of positively reinforce, yeah. which I think in some instances can be negative according to what you said and according to the research. And what I mean by that is, let's say I work with somebody and they set a goal to lose 10 to 15 pounds and then they come back and they didn't, they failed at their goal. Yeah. One thing that we're kind of trained to do is to go, hey, you made an attempt. That's good. Let me positively reinforce yeah. your attempt. Let's find the silver lining here in your failure. Let's go ahead and powder this up as much as possible and look for the positives even in your negative failure. So according to the research and what you're saying, that would actually be possibly detrimental and move them further away from success if I go, hey, nice job on your failure. Yeah. No, basically you say you'll reach your goal because you tried. So that's the, what we call here, it's, that's where the magic of ethical influence come in. Here we see nuances, the small nuance that matter, a single word, the same words in a different sequence, which completely have different outcomes. We call them small bigs, small changes, big outcomes. So basically what I'm hearing and what most people would do, you do this positive reinforcement, but basically are complimenting that they tried. Trying becomes the goal itself. 
in their mind. Okay, I tried. I can relax one more time. That's the switch we're going to make. You need to compliment on the work while they are doing it. Not at the end when, like you say, they failed. It's important to compliment during that they are working on a goal. Not And often this is like a, we catch them up at the end of a program when they fail to say you at least tried. Now we are reinforcing in their mind. The trying was the goal. No, that was not the case. Losing weight was the goal. So it's yeah. important when and how. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we can use that positive reinforcement. We, In fact, we probably should. We should, we should just be careful about the timing of it. During a program, during working towards to a goal, and even if the goal is reached, do compliment them on the work they did to reach that goal. Then they will stay in an active mind of moving forward. But this situation you described, somebody didn't reach the goal. So the complimenting of doing the work during that program, I would definitely recommend to do. And I would recommend perhaps other influence techniques already during the program, how you can get them back on track instead of at the end of the film. Hmm. Okay. But maybe it helps already with the goal. The, just the three tips I just mentioned could also help these guys. Maybe that goal was too far. I know from personal example, when you are really busy, it can be sometimes hard to find the time to cook healthy food, to go exercise. So I know I should put the bar at that moments in my life too high because I get continuously disappointed. You need that positive celebration moment. So maybe at that time, doing exercises for 30 minutes a week is a celebration for me. But you keep into, that opens the door to upgrade. When I put the bar, I would need to work out every day. Well, I know I don't have time. Then I quickly go to zero because I couldn't achieve my goal. Yeah, because you set yourself up. Also on the ability of that specific person to actually reach their goals. You better start small and work to the next small goal. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I if do we have time for one more question? Yeah, of course. So that made me think of the the inverse of that negative reinforcement. Most yeah. people respond pretty well to positive reinforcement. You can, you know, use people like affirmations, basically yeah. a form of priming or persuasion. Uh, win, success, things yeah. like that. Me and some other people are in the opposite camp. I respond, I think I respond better to negative reinforcement. So a priming that would work better for me is don't be a broke loser. Very yeah. negative, but yeah. it's something I see that in the morning and it motivates me to make money and, and yeah, yeah. work and be successful. For other people, that can be very demotivating and negative and ruin their day even. So any thoughts there on the effectiveness of negative reinforcement versus positive? Yeah, that sticks to me uh, to laws of religion, and that's a very powerful driver. The message, don't be this. It suggests like, yeah, don't be a broke loser. It tells you you aren't a broke loser. So you are, you're having money, and now there's something to lose by that frame. And that framing of laws of religion is very powerful. Because people are double more motivated to avoid loss than to gain something. So we connect it to the principle of scarcity. And there's many research that when you tell people what there's to win 
or what is there to lose. On average, you double your results if you tell what is to lose. So that's the phrase you use. So you have put laws aversion against it. So that could work, for example, in the health industry. Don't become overweighted. Yeah. That suggests they went to a program, but a lot of people fall back, of course, in old, into old habits. Then this laws aversion could be very powerful because they already gained something now. They work hard for it. There's something to lose at this moment. Pointing that out would be a very powerful driver. And I think that's also the example that you use to yourself. Okay. So if somebody were, let's say, trying to be in the Olympics, the positive reinforcement would be, hey, you've, um, you can win the medals. You'll yep. have attention. That would be positive reinforcement. But on the flip side, you'll disappoint your family. You'll ruin the career that you've built for yourself. You'll, you know, I'm obviously giving extreme examples, but that would be maybe like the negative reinforcement yep. version of, of something like that. Yeah, and there's other research, but that's not, that's connecting really to self-influence, but that's mostly done not by yourself, but to the outside world in this matter. It's the self-image reinforcement. How do people see themselves? Therefore, the study saying you need to reinforce the self-image, of course, in a positive way. Otherwise, you get they're saying you can never outperform your self-image. This is not our expertise. Oh, but I know about that research. So what I would say about positive reinforcements, compliments, they help you to be more influential, to give them to people, because that leads to liking. Only the phrase should just told me why that's so powerful. There was actually a gaining something. I assume you worked hard to gain where you want to be. But now there's something to lose, which you point out, which is, is a more powerful driver for you to go make money. And probably for your clients, when they achieved a certain goal, now pointing out to them, there's still something to lose if you go to old habit. That will be a very powerful, influential driver for them to keep on living a healthy lifestyle. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So like entrepreneurs, sometimes it can be very tough to get started and build a business despite all those positive potentials. But once somebody is an entrepreneur, they're making money, they're in it. What is more motivating is to not lose all those things that you've built. Yeah. That Okay. Exactly. What you gained. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, uh, Mr. Boss Wouters, where can people find out more about you, your work, and Cialdini Institute? Well, you can go to cialdini.com. That's a website of the Cialdini Institute. I have a profile on LinkedIn, Boss Wouters CMCT. We all know after this show what that stands for. Boss Wouters is not a very original name in the, the Netherlands. It's, it's like John Smith. Okay. And uh, so therefore, the four letters title entering my name so then I'm easy to find. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes so people can check you out and Cialdini Institute. Well, sir, thank you so much. This has been really an eye-opening conversation and very enjoyable, so I appreciate it. Fantastic. I appreciate being here, Mike. Thank you very much. Folks, stay healthy, stay awake.